so satisfied with that sip of coffee. Um, <laughs> but no, I um I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. I really respect what you do and I'm I'm excited that we have Spiky Van Dyke on the show today. Um also known as it's Jamie Calman, right? That's right. Jamie Calman. I said it right. I one of my biggest pet peeves is like mispronouncing people's names. So I try to not do that. You did good. You did good. See, I did. I did something right today. Like I was a klutz all day long. So everything that I could possibly destroy got <laughs> semi destroyed. <laughs> I know and we're we're not going to talk about the coronavirus. We're just going to talk about like I've seen a lot of people go through, like, these huge bouts of introspection. Is there anything cool that you've reflected on that you feel like you've realized about yourself during this time? Um, yes. Actually, I I really didn't realize how much of a people person I was until all of this happened. Mm-hmm. And, wow, not being around people is weird because you don't realize how much you're inspired by people like how many fun conversations you have with people this the human connection is so important and the energy exchange is so important when you don't have that you realize wow like that was a a pretty amazing thing to have and you kind of take it for granted because sometimes we overdo ourselves and overexert ourselves but when you when it's not there you're just like wow I miss people so while I do like to like kind of get like dive into my art and whatnot I also am just like I really miss getting on stage I miss working with other entertainers and talking to people making people laugh you know and you can do that on on the phone and whatnot but it's, it's different yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's very different yeah I hear that though I've never wanted to see people more and I'm the type of person like in what I do externally I I'm a PR person so I have to be social but I'm really shy. Like, if I wasn't, like, on for whatever reason, you'd never know <laughs> that I dealt with people. But yeah. every I, like, w- see somebody walking their dog on the street and we both look up at each other like a person. Oh, we say hello now. It's we weird. do. Everyone says hello. Even the mean neighbors that yes. didn't say hello before. Yes, it is, like, Pleasantville. It is so weird. All these people walking by and I'm like, hi. And they're like, hello. And I'm like, okay do you think do you think some of that will stay or do you think like in a couple of months people will go back to being grumpy again oh you know i really hope it does stay um sometimes you know what's really sad i'm gonna tap into something a little deep and a little intense Mm -hmm. uh for a minute i i hate that it takes events like this for for people to come together i hate that it takes big like catastrophes or something crazy happening for people to to bond and unite i hate that because i notice that'll happen like uh one of the places for example um this is going to be kind of like a little bit morbid to talk about um pulse was um a bar i performed at for eight years in orlando really i didn't know you performed there that's cool yeah Yes, that was, um, it was an amazing space. Everybody was really cool. Uh, one of the managers, um, Cindy, was just a really cool support system. There were some great people that worked there. And um, after that event happened, it was very traumatic for everyone. I wasn't there. I was living here at the time when it happened. And watching it happen and the intensity and watching 
like as it was happening, like I felt what was happening all the way over here. I couldn't go to sleep. I stayed up till two o'clock the next day. Now, what happened after that, Orlando came together. The community came together. The gay community came together. They all united and were there holding each other and supporting each other and being each other's rocks. And it was a beautiful thing. The sad part is, after a while, it trickles back out. And I honestly wish that it wouldn't take events happening on such a an intense level of, like, um, just, just, like, oh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just, like, it's... It's something that's gripping. It's something that's, like, soul-wrenching in a way. Like an unfortunate, very um, (laughs) heart-wrenching event to happen. It shouldn't take that for us to be able to connect and communicate with others. And I know that after this happens, it's going to change for a while. But it's up to everyone else to keep it consistent. It's up to everyone in the community to keep doing that and really stay true to what we learned through all of this. And I hope that happens. I hope that it's not just something that fades away. I hope it does, too, because it's it's cool to see people connecting that normally don't talk. It's cool to see people, like, honestly being vulnerable. That sounds weird, but it's nice. I've seen a lot of people who, on social media, and I get why they do it, because realistically, some people are private, and some people don't necessarily want to announce to, like, two, three hundred, a thousand people that they're not doing well. But it's really cool to see people being a little bit more vulnerable and being able to say, I'm having a really hard time or to keep busy. I guess it's just, it's really nice to see people kind of expressing themselves a little bit more. It's nice to see the full side of someone versus like just what they want us to see. And I think it's normal for us to wear masks. It just, for me, it makes me feel less alone to know that other people go through some of the same things that I go through. And I know um, that you brought up the word art earlier, and you you have such a dynamic array of art that you do, from, like, the costume design, from the artistry that you put into your shows, and, like, the artwork that you do, whether it's on a canvas or whether it's on, you know, a piece of parchment. Has art always been a part of your life in... How has that evolved from you being younger to now? Um, absolutely. It's, it's definitely been a part of my life since I was a kid. Um, I, started, I started drawing, I believe, when I was like six, and it became a problem. I mean, and being a kid in school and not being, um, you know, the kind of learner that was like able to read books and learn, because when you have ADD, you have to read a, a paragraph five times before it really registers, but... When you, you have, you know, when you're an audio learner like me, when the teacher's talking and stuff and it's something that's fun and exciting, you're really in tune. We had to do a lot of book work. So instead of doing my book work, of course, I was drawing dinosaurs and drawing things. And, and I, drew, I drew some really neat things for, for my age. My mom uh, put my picture that I had drawn of a dinosaur in the newspaper. That's pretty cool. And, and I wrote a lot, too. I also went to the Young Authors Conference when I was in the uh, second or yeah sec- second or third grade. So art and writing has actually been a big part of my life since I was a kid. Now, as I got older, 
my art, I, I started drawing comics, like I love Spider-Man, X-Men, you know, things like that. I love my comic book art. Todd McFarlane uh, does a comic called Spawn. He was phenomenal. So good. It's one of my one favorites. Of my favorite, he's one of my favorite artists because his art was so intense. And it kind of helped me tap into some of the, um, a different type of comic art that I was doing. Because when I was in high school, like I went through some things, you know, it was really hard being a lesbian growing up in you know Birmingham Alabama Mm -hmm. and bullying was was intense and it was real so I would definitely dive into my my art more and my art got a lot darker and deeper and with his art it kind of resonated with me it was like wow you know I kind of get where this is coming from I feel this and the art I did came from a place of um of what I was going through and a lot of pain that I was uh, dealing with, mm-hmm. and so did my writing. So as I got older, I also started to tap into Spikey. Mm-hmm. Spikey was a comic character I drew that I wanted to be as a male persona. Mm-hmm. And I was like, didn't really recognize like what was going I was like, oh, this is what I want to look like, so I can just draw this up. I didn't know that I could do it. So my art actually evolved into... The character I have now as a performance artist. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, yeah, right? And I mean, it's it's such a dynamic way to make a character come alive. And I'm curious because I know you said that you were bullied a lot. So with bullying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times it, it sometimes creates insecurities because how people make you feel in terms of the things they say to you or the environments that you're in. How did you go from someone who was bullied during your school years, during your formative years, to someone who had that confidence to go on stage and become spiky and really, like, craft that character? Well, that, um, that was, that was something, to, to be honest, that was something that I've actually struggled with to this day. Um, I... I remember the names I was being called. You know, they called me Spiky Dyke in school. So I eventually used it in my character as my character's name to kind of take my power back with that and, you know, be proud of that. Be like, yeah, I I am a dyke. I'm a lesbian. You can call me whatever you want. I'm proud of who I am. This really strange transition for me where I I had a hard time trusting people's intentions because... I didn't know if when people were complimenting me, if they were being facetious mm-hmm. or if they were truly complimenting me. And I, um, it was hard. Like I would, I would have moments where I was on stage and I, I thought if people were laughing in the audience, it's something their friend was saying. I thought they were laughing at me. It was really, really difficult to kind of power through that. So eventually I started recognizing, you know, this is, this is something I, need, I have to work through. So I went to counseling. Mm-hmm. And it helped a lot with that. So now when, when that kind of thing happens, I can actually recognize when it's happening and, you know, not take it personal. Because when you're a kid, you don't know how to handle it. Like, I, there's so many times when I look back and go, oh, I could have said this. If I would have said this then, that would have been amazing. You look back and go, wow, why didn't I do that? Of course, we don't know the things, you know, we didn't know the things then that we know now. But we can look back and go, those people were probably going through something and couldn't embrace who they were. So there's a good chance that their life wasn't that great and they were projecting on other people. And I was one of those people. And 
to be able to understand that instead of like really just going, oh, these these jerks, these assholes um, were bullying me. I really just feel bad for them because there had to be something wrong going on in their life for them to get to the point where they felt like they had to project on other people like that. You never know what's going on with other kids at home when you're in high school. And I went through it, and it did make me stronger in a lot of ways. So, you know, it it helped Spikey become a character. I took my power back with that, and I said, you know what? I'm going to get on stage, and I hope these people that made fun of me when I was in school come to my shows, and so many of them did, and were like, Jamie? And I'm like, yeah. Did any of them apologize or, like, say, because I'm curious about that. Yes. Oh, this is a fun story. Oh, I've got a good one for you. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm so, ready. Let me give you kind of a glimpse of, of me in high school. Um, I looked like, I had longer hair. I looked like Taylor Hansen from the Hansen Brothers. Um, <laughs> I was like, I loved to skate. I was like, you know, I couldn't make eye contact with people, though. That was a big thing. Like, when I would get on the bus after school, I'd put a hat on, I'd cover my eyes, I wouldn't make eye contact. Mm-hmm. Um. I dated, I started dating when I was like 14 or 15. I started dating girls. Um, and um, there was this one girl I dated when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And her name was Holly. And <laughs> she dated me because I looked like Taylor Hansen. <laughs> Let's be real. She told me, she was like, you look like Taylor Hansen. Oh, Taylor Hansen's so hot. And I'm just like, okay, cool. So I'm like walking in the band room with my umbros on and I'm like, hey, how's it going? You want to go to the skating rink later? And, like, so we were dating, and it was weird. Like, you know, back back then, like, because because I'm 37, a lot of people don't know I'm 37, we were writing notes back and forth, you know? It wasn't we're texting this and we're texting that. It's like, oh, if I have a note wedged in my locker, yes. Like, you look forward to seeing that little note wedged in your locker or – you know, them passing it off to you as you're walking by. We would write notes back and forth and everything. And she'd be like, oh, you know, I think, I think I'm in love with you. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) okay. So I remember going into the band room. Now the girlfriend I was with before that, I mean, the girl I was dating, well, she was my girlfriend. Let's be real. Let's, let's be real. We were, um, Let's just say I lost my virginity when I was, like, 15 to a girl. Um, and okay. we had done everything all over the school. So I knew all the safe areas where you could do things and get away with it. I swear, That's- everybody's high school experience is more interesting than Oh, us. my gosh. It's like, I'm like, okay. So I gave her a note, and I was like, hey, Holly, meet me in the band room uh, bathroom. Because nobody's going to be in there at that time. It was like, not the color guard closet, not the drumline room. This not very this room. specific room. But not the art room bathroom, because the art room bathroom and the the theater uh, the theater room behind the um, behind one of the classrooms is a really good spot, too. Um, <laughs> I think it's fucking <laughs> hilarious how you still remember all of the spots. I was horrible. I mean, oh, I'm going to be real. And then I could tell you my story that was really good um and so like I was like okay let's meet here and she met me there in the bathroom and I did the whole like suave like pin you against the wall make out with you thing Ooh, spicy 
Yes, very spicy. Like habaneros. <laughs> Continue. Yes, it was like, and I, it was like she was just, you know, really put back. And I'm like, thanks for the, you know, the, the note earlier. I was like, I really, you know, that was awesome. And she was like, you're welcome. And so we both kind of giggled and walked out of the bathroom. Then she never talked to me again. What? She never talked to me again. That's fucking rude. And acted like I didn't exist at all. And I'm like, what the hell? And like, I mean, I'm a kid. So it's like, I'm 16. It's like, okay. You can't be giving people whole love notes and then pretend like they don't exist. I was like, I was hurt for a 16 year old. Not that I couldn't like, you know, date other people because let's be real, you know. Looking like Taylor Hansen had its perks. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and, um, and being a, the only girl in the drum line also had its perks. Um, but it, for a while, it was just like, oh my gosh, because before then, that person was my friend. So I believe it was four years ago. Mm-hmm. I added her on on Facebook just to see how she was doing and it was like I was like I'm just gonna check out see what she's interested in like what she's been up to and it said her interest was in men and women and I was like okay and I added her as a friend and I didn't even have to say anything to her I just got this message she's like Jamie I am so sorry for what I did to you in high school I said I was like oh my gosh she's reaching out to me she's saying she's sorry and she's like I was really uncomfortable with who I was. My mom was very judgmental and it was scary for me, you know, dealing with that and having feelings for you. And I didn't know how to handle it. So I ran away. That was really big of her to do that. Yes. It was so sweet. And she's like, since then I've dated women. I've dated men. I'm currently dating a woman. I'm just like, I'm really happy for you. That's really great. I'm proud that you, you finally embraced who you are and you're okay with that because yes, it was hard to be yourself where I was, but I was, I'm always, I've always been stubborn. Mm-hmm. I didn't care that people knew I was gay at a very young age. They knew when I was 14, when I walked into that room, oh, screaming, you look at me and it screams lesbian. It's like, oh my gosh, look at that person. She is totally, I mean, I was as gay as they could get and I wasn't scared to be that way. I was like, okay, but I did suffer the consequences of it. And you know what? It did make me stronger. And the people who did hurt me, some of them apologized. Um, some of them didn't, but that was the one that stood out the most was when she messaged me and, and was like, I am so sorry. I did that to you because we don't think that people think about those things, you know, mm-hmm. or that even affects them because in those kind of moments, they don't seem like they care. Mm-hmm. But apparently for years it had been sitting with her and, she apologized and it was it was wonderful it was wonderful to hear that it kind of like you know every little thing every little act of kindness that people people do kind of restores my faith in humanity a little bit and that was one of those things where I was like thank you I needed that I appreciate that very much I can see why too because it's I feel like a lot of people were not everyone but there were quite a few people who were shits in high school Mm-hmm. And like growing up, you go through these experiences, these relationships, and you learn how to be a better person. You learn how to break away from some of the things that kind of affected you when you were younger and kind of was projected into how you dealt with the external world. So it's it's always really cool when people do that. 
Like, I, it, it also restores my faith in humanity. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And when you're a kid and you're that, you're that age, you don't really think about the things that you do. Like, I remember, I remember coming out to, this is so funny, coming out to my best friend when I was like 14. She came out to me first. Her name was Robin. We were friends for 23 years. Best friend in the whole world. She, we were 14. She calls me and she's like, she's like, Jamie, I'm gay. And I was like, <laughs> she just came right out with it. I respect right it. <laughs> yeah. Came right out and is like, I'm gay. And I said, ew. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> and then like 10 minutes later, I called her back. I'm like, Robin, I'm gay too. She's like, I know. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Like, now that we got that off our chest, like we knew, I mean, I knew from the moment I met her, she came to my door, um, with a pickle, like one of those big jumbo pickles. Yeah. It said she had moved into the like apartment complex and she knocked on the door and she's like, Hey, I'm Robin. Do you want a pickle? And That's I'm like, kind of cool. Yes. Yes. You know me already. We just met and you already know me. I'm 11 years old. And I'm like a pickle. How did you know I love pickles? And, um, so yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Like when you're that age, you do things and you're like, oh my gosh, I was such a little jerk when I did that. Like, ew. And then I hang up on her and I'm like, why would I do that? You know, like, so silly. But, you know, your brain's not even fully developed at that age. You're going to make mistakes. You're human. I mean, even to this day, we don't have some big handbook of how we're supposed to do things. You know, we just, we do what we can to live every day uh, the best of our ability. I agree. If somebody does have a handbook, however, and would like to send one, please do. What was it like growing up for you? I know you talked about coming out and you talked about kind of how you navigated how people treated you into now into becoming the character of Spikey. What was it like for you growing up and how did those experiences kind of push you into working on your art and kind of expounding on what you did creatively? Growing up for me, it was really interesting. Um, I remember being seven years old. I remember... I felt different than all the other kids. I knew I was different from a very, very young age. I couldn't pinpoint it then um, exactly, but I would um, I would do things like I would wear sleeveless shirts mm-hmm. because Patrick Swayze and uh, John Travolta wore them, and I was like, oh, I want my arms to look like that in a shirt. Mm-hmm. So I would put those shirts on, I would go in the fridge and eat all my mom's spinach out of the drawer, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like awesome. looking, I'm like, is it happening yet? Is it happening yet? And I just remember thinking, I want to look like that. That's what I want to look like. And I would look down, and I'm like, something's missing. You know, I I felt like I was in the wrong body. And so I would do weird little things. Like, I would go to the pool with just shorts on, you know. And um, it was like, I would go with my friends. My mom wasn't around very much because she was working a lot. You know, being a single mom um, and having to take care of me was extremely difficult and she worked really really hard so I didn't get to see her a lot Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of times when as a kid I was alone I was very very alone and by myself and I had to live in my imagination a lot which did help me with that art but I always I would always like write or draw and I I just I remember envisioning myself in a different body and what I would look like and so as I got older I was still different, but the school I was going to, I made a lot of friends that were weird like me and that were, you know, 
And this was when I was in the third grade till I was in the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends. I mean, we listened to Aerosmith. We listened to rock. We listened to the Rolling Stones. We would go play uh, putt-putt golf and go to the skating rink. And it was amazing. We moved to a different, um, a different town when I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And that's when everything changed. That's when it went from I have friends to the bullying mm-hmm. right off the bat. Because it was like, it's like when you walk, you know, you're a drag king and you walk into a gay club, you have to prove yourself. I had to prove myself. I had to prove that I was just as cool as everybody else there. And like, I, you know, was, you know, a part of something and I couldn't do it. Like, I was too weird and too different. And I didn't know how to handle that. Like, I didn't know what to do other than just dive more into my art and my, uh, my writing. And so I just became really introverted. Um, I didn't really embrace my weirdness. Like I wasn't comfortable embracing it. And as I got older and as I, you know, went, started to go to high school, I was like, I'm gay. I don't care who knows. Even at a young age, I knew that I was looking for something and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know exactly what it was that I was searching for and it was it was an outlet it I was searching for a way to feel valid and accepted in this body but I had to be able to do it myself and because it couldn't come from anyone around me you can't you can't as a kid it's like you this is it's so weird to say this it's but it's something that a lot of my friends talk about. I think when you are in, after you get out of uh, elementary school and you start to go to middle school, I think counseling should be mandatory. I think counseling should be mandatory after high school because there are so many things that happen that are, that parents don't know about that happen in schools, that kids that happen to kids. And I think that having that would give us a better understanding of ourselves and help us navigate better through life because I was really confused and really lost uh, for a long time. So once I, once I was like, you know, I came out and I was openly gay at a very close-minded place in Alabama, um, I, you know, I ended up getting really, this is me being very open and uh, blunt about what happened. I I, uh, got really bad into drugs when I was 17 years old. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel valid and I didn't know how to do it. So I wanted to escape reality. And, um, I started going to like raves and parties and, um, I wouldn't come home for days at a time. But when I was around these people at these parties and these raves, I felt love for the first time. And it was probably because I was doing things like taking ecstasy. But these people didn't judge me. They embraced me for who I was. And I'm like, why do I have to take a pill for people to like being around me and be myself? Like, why do, why does it have to be like that? And um, so my mom found out what was going on. I wouldn't come home for days at a time. Mm-hmm. So she sent me to live with my aunt. <sighs> My aunt didn't play, did she? No. Now, my aunt used to be super cool. She was like, she's, you know, her and my mom, 
she's had this weird like jealousy thing towards my mom. Mm-hmm. I've always known it was there. Like she's always been very jealous of my mom. And when I went, my mom's like, I'm sending you to live there with her. You're going to go to Panama City Marine Institute. You're going to graduate. And that's it. And I said, okay. I get there. Now, I'm not expecting any kind of uh, punishment for me being being gay to come into play. It was, hey, I was doing this. Because my mom never had a problem with me being gay at all. She was very, very cool about it. She's always been very supportive. But my aunt took away all my clothes, all my art, all my music, all my writing. And if it didn't have something to do with Jesus or God, I could not have anything to do with it. And bought me new clothes that they were they were terrible. Like, they, it was just, I don't, it, there was no, like, for me, like, I wanted to dress how I felt. And it was like, I she made me wear some of the most hideous, embarrassing things. And already being insecure about myself at that age, it made it ten times worse. Because I had to pretend I was okay when I wasn't. And um, so she forced me to go to church. I started to go to Panama City Marine Institute, mm-hmm. um, which was where I ended up graduating. And um, when I went to school, I could be myself. You know, I could act like myself. I couldn't wear the clothes I wanted, but I could act like myself. And I kind of, I had a few conversations with my teachers. I was like, look, I live with my aunt. Um, she hates my art. She doesn't want me to do it unless it's uh, in some relation to God or church or Jesus. And I, and, I, and I would like to draw and write. And my teacher, her name was Miss Leslie. She was one of the most amazing people. She was super supportive. Um, she kind of knew that it was a very toxic situation for me. And when I was in her class, she would say, Jamie, I want you to do your work today, but I also want you to spend this much time doing your art and writing. And she would keep it in a drawer in her desk for me. Oh, that's Um, really sweet. It was really sweet. So I would go home and, you know, or to my aunt's house, and I, I lived there for like six or seven months. And one time I went home from school and she, and she came up to me and my counselor was sitting at the kitchen table and she said, are you hanging out with a girl named Jody at school? And I was like, yeah, why? She's like, she's gay, isn't she? And I said, yeah, she's gay, but I'm not going to let that influence me. And she took it as me being a smart ass. She pulled her whole arm back and knocked the living shit out of me. In front of my counselor. Like, so hard that I saw white. Damn. Did your counselor say anything? My counselor said, Jamie, let's go for a walk. (laughs) I said, okay. So we went for a walk. At that point, it had happened so many times that I was numb to it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the first time. It wasn't the first time that, like, you know, that, that happened. And it was like, I just, at that point, like, I saw white. Tears came down my face, but I had no no emotion that came with it. And um, as we went on the walk, we got a little further away from the house, and the counselor, she grabbed my hands and she said, Jamie, I want you to do your school stuff, and I want you to get out of here as soon as you can. And I want you to just focus on that and remember that this is not how it's always going to be. It's going to be different after this. And you need to focus on that so you can get out of here. She said, your aunt is not a healthy person. 
and, and, you know, I was like, I was like, okay. So I focused really hard on school. In the meantime, I was happy. She made me go to church. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a choice in the matter at all. Uh, she made me get saved. She told me that God hates gay people and that I was going to go to hell if I were to continue to be gay. She pushed me into dating a 32 year old man. At, at such a young at, age. At 17 years old. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I just want her to leave me alone. Like, I want her to get off my back. So I became friends with the guy. You know, I was like, okay. And when she wasn't around, I'm like, and his name was David. I was like, I was like, David, I'm not straight. I'm not, I, I like women. He's like, I know. He's like, I'm just going to be your friend. He's like, let's just make it look like, you know, it's something that's not so we can keep you safe. And it was really big of him, but he really ended up, he really ended up, he did like me, but I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, straight. But, um, he was very helpful. I got to talk about my feelings with him and talk about, you know, how I felt about feeling stuck there. And in that, in that time, I mean, I, I, my grades were up. I was doing really great. Um, I got to go on a trip to Tampa to go to Bush Gardens with uh, some other students. My aunt tried to make it to I, to where I couldn't go because she was scared I was going to go be with a girl. And, you know, she was, like, being really crazy about it, like, super controlling. Mm -hmm. And I got back from the trip, and um, she was mad at me for, like, a week. I don't even know why. Um, I'm guessing it was because I went on the trip and, you know instead of congratulations, you're doing really great on your grades, it was punishment constantly. And then I remember I was doing so good that they let me take my GED test early. Mm -hmm. and I was going to graduate early and I'm like, yes, I'm going to do this. She intentionally made me late for my test because she didn't want me to leave and let me out of that house. And the knots in my stomach thinking I was going to miss getting like that test done and graduating, it was terrifying. It was like she was constantly trying to stop me from getting away from her and escaping, like, feeling trapped. And I gradu finally graduated. Mm -hmm. I went home. I did a lot of apologizing to my mom because I didn't know what I had put my mom through. My mom also apologized to me because she wasn't there. She wasn't present um, a lot of the time. She didn't know I was bullied in high school. She didn't know there were other things that happened when I was a, a kid that she also didn't know about because she just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And I felt very alone. I felt very alone when I came back. Um, I apologized to my mom. I turned 18 and instantly rebelled. I moved out. I cut off all my hair, dyed it different colors, got I don't know how many piercings. And I moved out in my friend's house and I ended up, my mom ended up moving from Alabama to Florida um, because my stepdad at the time got a job as a manager for an elevator company out in Fort, uh, Fort Myers. Mm -hmm. So I stayed behind and I, funny thing, I stayed behind for a girl <laughs> um, because before I went to the Marine Institute, uh, we were together. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, and I stayed for her because I was like, you know, I'm going to stay. I'm going to try this. And my friends are here. I don't, I don't want to go to Florida. Like, I don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. So I stayed. And then it kind of turned into, like, me kind of discovering who I was and then going to my first gay bar and seeing my first show and then really going, 
there is an outlet for my gender identity. I can be myself now. I can figure out who I am to the full extent. And then Spikey just became a reality, and it was like, boom. Like, everything everything started to make sense. And, I mean, even to this day, it's still like a learning process, but things became really clear. Once that character got on stage for the first time, it was like a weight was lifted off of me. Off of me. Like, when I was Spikey, everything that happened to me with my aunt, with high school, with before that, it couldn't touch me. Mm-hmm. It, it couldn't touch me. I was invincible. With with characters and the person that is performing as the character, there's normally like a sense of duality there. So, and you kind of just described it where like you are you when you are outside of the spiky role, but the reality is spiky allows you to explore your gender identity. Do you feel like you've come to terms with that over the years? Um, yes. I feel, I feel as if when I'm, when I'm Jamie, um, I do go by she, her, Mm -hmm. they, them. When I'm Spikey, I go by he, him, they, them. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like Spikey's his own gender. Like there's no, like when I'm that character, it's like I can be whatever I want. There's no such thing as gender. It's just like non-existent. And I'm on that stage. I'm just me. I'm just like, there are parts that are more confident that come out as spiky, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of depth behind it that people don't recognize unless you've been in that position. And that's where the inspirational aspect comes in, where people come up to me afterwards and say, oh my gosh, I can relate to that. I saw that. I saw you. I saw what you were doing on that stage. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I just kind of embrace all of it now. And with Spiky, you know, it's like I get to dabble into a little bit of everything and just really embrace it and go, this is who I am. This is how I am. I'm going to embrace it and do what I can with it and find if there's ever times when I feel uncomfortable, I'm going to find a way around it and I'm going to work through it. And that's the key. That's how you grow. How has Spiky grown over the years? Because you've been performing for, like, you've been performing for over a decade, for a very long time. I have been performing for 18 years. Um, I started performing, I believe, when I was 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was 19. Um, and it, it started off, it was very, like, boy bander, uh, performing boy band music, like, doing a lot of, like, um, let's see, uh, Daniel Bedingfield, James Dean song. Uh, it was really cute. You have an uh, impeccable taste in music, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> You're thank, you. thank you. I did. Um, I did a lot of Usher. I did a lot of um, Justin Timberlake, uh, things like that. And it kind of it grew from like this this boy character to like. Then I started tapping into the fetish scene. You know, when I moved, to, I moved to Florida and I was like, there's edge here. I'm going to start doing more with this. There's so much more I can do with this. So I started doing performances by, um, like, I started doing Marilyn Manson, things like that, Nine Inch Nails, um, uh, performances by um, Garbage and stuff like that, like more alternative, like darker, deeper stuff. Then I started to tap into, while I was doing things in the fetish scene, I also tapped into Boylesque. Mm-hmm. which was so much fun. It was like, I could be goofy, I could be silly, and I could do my hair in a pompadour. Mm-hmm. And 
all these characters, like, it was so fun getting to embrace each one of them and, like, and then sometimes even mix them all together at once. And I, after I started doing Boylesque, uh, my performances became more about the character I created and becoming more of, like, an iconic character instead of just, like, silly and funny. I wanted to... I wanted to portray a comic character superhero for the community. I was like, spiky, cape, rainbow cape, mohawk, you know, big boots, leather pants, pow, boom, I'm here. You will watch my performance. I am valid. You will see me. It's the best comic book that I've ever read before. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And when I became that, it was like, and, you know, glitter beard and everything. It felt that was like that was like the height of everything when I finally like realized when you step out on that stage, you are demanding the attention of all those people in that audience. And I remember just the way it felt being up there and just feeling like who I am, being present, being valid, what I do, the art I've built from nothing. I, I mean, my character was built from nothing. I was, I was supposed to go to art school. My stepdad was going to take care of that. And he ditched out on the family. So I never got to go to art school, which was a huge thing. So I said, you know what? I'm going to make a name for myself. And I did. And I worked extremely hard. I did free shows here, free shows there. Um, you know, um, for a really long time, I just kept hustling and hustling and hustling and promoting myself and doing all these other events and then I was slowly my name started to kind of just get out there and in the MySpace days Spikey got big like in the MySpace days social media helped launch my character like in a massive way but now like through you know going through interviews having a documentary done um doing interviews with Curve Magazine doing interviews with um doing the About Face series with Elle magazine, doing the Transfashionable show, things like that, and BuzzFeed even, it gave my character that power I needed to get on stage and really, like, let that character soar in a way that I couldn't when I was still kind of, like, struggling to get up there. And it's still a struggle, but now I feel more confident. And I feel like my purpose is more is more defined and I'll get an email every once in a while and someone will say you inspired me to be who I am thank you and that's it and then as that character and as you know knowing that that's the impact you make this is like my purpose. This is why I'm here. I am here to make a movement. I am here to inspire people, to let kids know it's okay. There's an outlet, you know, to, to let people know you have options. There are things you can do to, you know, feel confident in yourself through the hard things that are happening in the world, through school. If you're an abusive, in an abusive home, um, and you're not 18 yet, you can't get out. There are ways and it does get better. So that then became my purpose, and getting on stage was just me wanting to show people that they have the power to be themselves. That's such an important thing, like wholeheartedly, because it's not something 
that people get all the time. Sometimes people don't have the resources depending on where they are. And I can say the first time I ever saw you perform was at River City Pride last year. And the amount of kids that I could see that were inspired and happy when you went on stage really touched me because it made me remember those days where it was harder to see that. And more than anything, it was harder to see a drag king, especially, be on stage performing. People could see someone that looked like them being, you know, bold and courageous enough to go on stage and be themselves and have fun with it and inspire other people to come on stage and just bask in a healthy environment. And that's really cool. Um, and it's, it's something that makes it all worth it when you receive letters from people that you inspired, somebody who could possibly be on stage themselves one day or have the courage to have hard, difficult conversations or make, um, choices that they didn't think they could make before. So that's awesome. Um, what you do and why you do it. I, I admire people that not only practice artistry, but they have like passion and drive behind the why and why they do it. I know I said the word why so much. Just um, but creatively, I have a question for you because I'm curious. Creatively, what happens when you walk on a stage? Like what mentally happens when you're gearing up for a show? And when you're performing, what is that experience like for you? Mm. I can tell you this. I still get nervous before every single show. Every single show, every time. And it's like a rush of adrenaline. It's like, it's like, um, I get out on stage and people, I start to hear the crowd and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. This is, wow, it's happening. It's wow. And then you take that moment and like when I'm on stage, I'm connecting with people. I'm making eye contact. I'm, if I take a dollar bill from their hand, I make eye contact. I say thank you to them. I make sure they feel included on that stage. And it's like I, in that moment, feel like I'm including people in my life on an intense, deep level that is just, like, it just feels very, like, liberating. Because it's almost like it's like these people are accepting me. These people are enjoying what I'm doing. These people are, you know, some of these people are inspired. Some of these people are just happy to be there. Some of these people are just having a good time and getting drunk at a bar. Either way, I'm on stage feeling like I'm setting myself free over and over and over again. And it's crazy. Like, there's nothing, there's no, there's really not a way to describe it other than it's like being on cloud nine. That sounds like the best job to have. It's, it's kind of awesome. It's draining. I'll be real. It is kind of draining sometimes. Like sometimes I'll go home feeling supercharged. Other times I'll go home feeling really drained because the energy exchange is different for each show. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they give it back and I throw it back out and they give it back. Sometimes they take it. Sometimes they just give a whole bunch of it. But either way, I'm still giving. But sometimes I do get a little drained and the next day... Mm-hmm. We'll go through this thing as entertainers um, where we go through a small depression after some of our shows because we give so much of ourselves. 
to the audience. It's like we're we're spilling our guts on stage. You know, uh, there's a quote uh, by Janis Joplin that kind of explains it. It says, "When I get on stage, I make love to ten thousand people. When I get off stage, I go home alone." And that's kind of a, an interesting way. Like that's one of my favorite quotes, but an interesting way to describe it. That's a great quote. I love it. I love it. It's an awesome quote. I I can see how that would be draining though. And you mentioned earlier, and it's something that kind of has been in the back of my mind since you said it. You said that you were talking about something else, but you did make mention of the fact that, you know, as a drag king, when you enter a club for the first time, you have to prove yourself. You have to pull that audience and pull the people that work there. How did you go from having to prove yourself to where you are now? What were those obstacles like? Because I know, realistically speaking, even though I'm not a drag king, I know enough kings and queens to know that there are certain elements that come with performing at venues and performing at clubs that can be not so nice at times um to be honest i still walk into every venue like i i still walk into every every venue uh with that perspective every time i perform even if it's in places i've already been to Mm -hmm. if there's a new performer um the mistake I've made, though, is I have noticed because I have I have that perspective. Sometimes I think that other entertainers don't like me, and they do, mm-hmm. and they're just really intimidated by my character. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I get kind of shy and withdrawn when I'm getting ready and I do my thing. Mm-hmm. And um, the truth is, sometimes it's just like that perspective can be a good thing to constantly go, I know I'm going to have to prove myself. Um, also, it's just kind of become like, not everybody wants you to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a blessing and curse thing. You're going to put on an amazing performance because you have that perspective. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, don't shut people out. Like I've learned that I I get scared that people are like, you know, talking about me or judging me. And that may have come from childhood too. Something I'm still working through. But um, it's, it's been interesting, and I still have that perspective. I just have to recognize and be aware of the fact that sometimes people aren't really being dismissive of me as a character. They're just really terrified of meeting me. And, like, I've noticed that about 70% of the time that's the case. And so then I kind of let my guard down. I'm like, hey, I'm spiky. Now I make sure I introduce myself to everyone in the dressing room. I've been doing that for about 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I make sure to say hello and be like, hi, I'm Spiky. How are you? Nice to meet you. You know, regardless of how, um, things are or how I get treated, because at the end of the day, if people are going to treat you like that, like I said earlier, uh, it's not personal to you. So do go in, do your best, have fun. Don't ever, you know, if you get to a point where you're not having fun and you don't get nervous before a show, I think that's when showtime's showtime's over. That's it. You know? It's a very big, big, it's very big of you to think of it in that way, because naturally people tend to be very reactive in situations. So for you to like take a second to kind of step back and say, hey, the way this person is acting is not about me. It could have been an experience they had before. Maybe they have thoughts and feelings that have nothing to do with you and that's being projected on you. So it's because I know that that's probably also easier said than done. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I'm gonna be real. Like sometimes it's harder than harder than you know. It's some days it's harder than others. But um, 
someone who pointed that out to me was actually uh, someone I dated recently. And she was like, you know, I noticed that you get this way around people where you kind of withdraw yourself. And she's like, did you ever think that they're just scared to talk to you? And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. Wow. And I never thought of that. So, you know, it was awesome to kind of have my eyes open to that and like have an outsider perspective saying, hey, these people are just scared to talk to you. Like, it's okay. And that was like really enlightening for me to learn that from someone else who kind of saw like from, from outside of, you know, the performance industry. It's a neat perspective because sometimes like just just speaking for myself there are plenty of times where I've been intimidated by performers and they're so sweet. I remember the first time that I went to interview Kings and Queens at a drag show and I was terrified, not just because I had never done it, but because I'm like everyone looks so serious and I'm like they're getting ready for a performance of course they look serious you probably look manically serious too <laughs> right now oh yeah I'm, I'm terrified i mean the mohawk and everything i look like a fucking bird of prey like i'm gonna go after i'm like come on <laughs> you kept smiling so i'm like i know i know that i can talk to him when he's done performing <laughs> I was so happy to be there. My, my, my curls were blowing in the wind. I was like, woo! <laughs> it was windy as hell backstage. Everybody was getting hit with balloons. <laughs> <laughs> that was so much fun. Oh, that was so much fun. Oh, my goodness. But oh, that was such a good day. It was a good day. What are you, with that in mind, like your perspective and you being open in all of the venues that you go to, as a whole, what do you feel like you bring to drag? What do you feel like you give to the drag community? Um, courage. Um, courage and um, hopefully inspiration. Letting letting people know that there's an outlet. Like there's, there's a way to um, present yourself in an art form is just it's like there's your, there's an outlet in that and letting people know that it's okay to be themselves. I want people ultimately to be able to embrace who they truly are as a person unapologetically that is my main goal is saying it doesn't matter if you have crazy hair if you have tattoos if you look different if you're weird if you're quirky getting out there and being yourself is the most important thing that you can do and be true to yourself so at the end of the day i think it's just promoting the fact that it's okay for people to be true to themselves unapologetically that's beautiful. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it is. I, I think it's a good message for people to have, though. Especially in a place where, like, people are pressured to look a certain way. And I think... I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Because social media is really great about helping expose people to bunches of content. Bring people together. But it also can be very divisive in the fact that people see this person or they see something that's happening in... They think they have to be that. And if they're not that, or if they don't project or portray that, then there's something wrong with them. So it, it's really cool to have that kind of perspective for you, uh, or from you. <laughs> I swear yeah. I don't correct There is a lot of pressure in the community to, to be a certain way. And um, one of the things that I think it promotes that hasn't been exactly a positive thing is there's a lot of toxic masculinity in the lesbian community. There is. There definitely and is. 
because it's like people think that they have to be a certain way like they are, are constantly having to compete with men you don't have to compete with anybody all you have to do is be your best self it's not a competition like you don't need to look a certain way like do what makes you feel comfortable as a human being what makes you feel good shouldn't have anything to do with being just like everybody else it makes me so happy that that you brought that up because it's it's something that has bothered me a lot and it's something that I've had so many like even not just teenagers but like adults my age and your age you know come up to me and say that they're not comfortable if they don't dress a certain way and they feel like they have to do that I used to facilitate an LGBT plus support group for adults and there were several people within that group that really struggled with that and it was kind of heartbreaking because the reality is, is there's someone out there for everyone. People, okay. people like different types of things. Maybe there are some women out there that prefer women who look more masculine, but there are also like women out there that prefer, prefer people all over the spectrum in terms of how they want to express themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, so. I agree with that. I, um, my last partner was very, very supportive of the fact that I was just me. Um, Whatever it was that I embraced who I was, you know, that it was okay. Like no matter what that was, if I was more feminine one day, if I was more masculine one day, if I was androgynous this day, if I felt, you know, this way another day, um, it's really important for people to remember that there are other people out there who just want to see you being yourselves. And that Mm -hmm. also is contagious because in turn it's inspiring it is to be themselves it's attractive too like it it is like i if you're yourself even if like because we all have insecurities even when we're pretty confident about certain things that we do but like when you yourself and you still have the balls to like do what makes you happy that's that's really engaging for everyone that you encounter yes yeah, I don't think there's a certain, like, the whole thing is, like, we spend our lives trying not to have labels, you know, and to step inside of this box and put yourself in this category and think that you have to be a certain way is just, it's like going against everything that we're fighting for. Like, why would you put yourself in a box? Why would you want, you know, to be this certain way just because everyone else is being this way? Like, what really is it beneath all the behind social media, behind you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, any of that. Behind all of that, what is it that makes you who you are, and what is it that makes you special, and how can you use that to stand out in your own way that makes you an individual? Not, hey, oh, this person looks this way. People are gonna make comments in the community where they're like, oh, well, I didn't want to be with you because you weren't femme enough. Um, I didn't want to be with you because you were taller than me, or I didn't want to be with you because you weren't masculine enough. There's obviously those people who are saying those things to other people in the community have an issue within themselves that they have not solved yet. Mm -hmm. And that shouldn't be what's contagious because it's not personal. So hopefully people are taking time right now. This is my hope right now in, in everything that with, with everything that's happened with quarantine. People are taking time right now to figure out who they really are. And if we can do that and just truly embrace who we are and ourselves, it can be contagious in such a beautiful way where judgment 
starts to go out the window. We shouldn't be judging each other in our own community. We shouldn't. And it happens, it makes it hard for people outside of the community to take our concerns and the things that we're going through seriously. Well, if they're fighting, then, like, obviously the way we feel is valid. So, like, it, it really invalidates the struggles that we go through. It invalidates our spaces um, in the spectrum as a whole because you also have sectors of the community where, you know, if you don't fall within a certain range or people who are trans telling people they're not trans enough or people telling people who are bi to pick a side or, you know, there are just, there are so many different components of our community that's, that's kind of warring with each other and it it makes it hard to fully progress especially at an during an age where we have so many things at risk as far as our rights and privileges on on a political level yes absolutely i i agree it makes it very difficult and it also it also shows people like the toxic people on the outside that are judging us that we are weak Mm-hmm. it's showing that we are weak and we are scared of who we are and that is not what we need them to see right now it's not we need to show them that we can band together and be powerful and strong together agreed because people when you're when you're a united front people listen to you like there's a reason why when martin luther king or um when Marsha P. Johnson or other people made big displays, people listened to them because there were people there united for a yes. unified cause. I'm going to stop using the word united because it's no, becoming... No, use it all you want. Use it all you want. <laughs> because that is that is a beautiful word. I mean, that's I even use that in the name for one of my events coming up because I had to deal with another event that was toxic that I got out of to make sure people felt united in the community. So that's a beautiful word to me. United is exactly what we need. I don't, you can never say that too much. <laughs> say it. Make it, make it. Um, united. Just, united. <laughs> united. United. Seriously though, I really, it's been, it's been fun talking to you and I really appreciate your candor too. It's, it's nice to have that perspective and it's nice to be able to, talk about not only the great things about the community but some of the areas of opportunity because I feel like a lot of times people are afraid to talk about it because a it's either something that they talk about with close friends because they're afraid of how people are going to receive them if they voice that out loud or maybe it's something that they don't necessarily realize themselves or they could be a part of that problem and I think awareness is the key to people kind of thinking a little bit more about it so that we can make it better. Yes. People people need to voice, you know, what it what it is they're they're experiencing. And if more people could use their voice in a way that is um, constructive to growth in the community, it would be so nice. Or even like embracing their own flaws and going, hey, this is where I need to do something different. Like I am part of the problem. I need to fix this. Because you can't grow if you're not going to accept your flaws as well. And everyone has them. It's like, we have to grow. Like, in order to get past all of this and to become a stronger community, we have to grow past our flaws, embrace them, and really work on, you know, uniting. Mm-hmm. That word. <laughs> uniting. <laughs> uniting. Get it on the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, like you're absolutely right. And this is this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And tell everybody where they can find out more about you and if you have any cool things coming down the pipeline that you'd like to promote. Um, well, thank you for having me. By the way, this has been a really awesome oh, experience. You're welcome. <laughs> it's been nice talking um about what truly made my character because sometimes, you know, um when I'm doing my own thing, I tend to forget and actually saying it out loud. It's like, wow, okay, I got to get back into this hardcore. Um, I actually don't have a lot of stuff coming up. I do have a couple of digital shows that I will be posting information about on my Instagram. If you just follow uh, Spiky Van Dyke on Instagram, I have a Facebook page under Spiky Van Dyke Twitter account. I'm Spiky Van Dyke on TikTok. I have a website, but it's partially down right now, but um, my old website still pops up if you go to spikyvandyke.com, and if you want merch or anything like that, I have spikyvandyke.storeenvy.com, which is where I sell uh, t-shirts, glitter beards, and all that fun stuff to help you start drag and, and whatnot and become a drag performer, or, you know, just get merch with little pictures of me on it. Sweet! I will drop links below. Spike is awesome, and it'll be the best decision that you've made all day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. And feel free to come back anytime. It was awesome having you. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I will see everybody next time. Bye. Bye, guys.